Hello, I am Jesse Kester, and this is my co-host, Naomi Beatty. I'm Naomi Beatty, and this is my sidekick, Jesse Kester. Woo! And you are listening to Movies the Podcast. Welcome to the program. We are thrilled to have you on board with us. And, uh, you know, we're kind of okay on the length of this song, so I'm just going to fade it out. <laughs> so that, I guess we'll, we'll listen to the whole thing someday, and you can hear how great it ends. How are you doing? I'm, I'm doing well. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I had a question on my mind that we might be able to start out with just to see how it goes. Sure. Uh, did you have any emotions this week? And if so, which ones? <laughs> Related to watching the movie specifically or just, just in general? Just human emotions. Uh, I had a whole range of emotions this week. Which was kind of in, in, your top three, which was number one. Let's go with number one today. Um, number one emotion in the past week. Yes. I will go with... Uh, Contentment. Is that an emotion? Yeah, yeah, of course it's a a feeling of contentment. Sure. What caused it? You know, I just had some lovely experiences with someone I enjoy spending time with, so. That's more than enough. That's... (laughs) I get it. I get it. Yeah. And I'm sure our listeners at home get it too. I felt, <laughs> what did I feel? I felt it strongly last night. It was, I renewed a friendship, a, a, oh. a friend of mine I hadn't seen for about six months and we met up for, for coffee and I was sitting chatting with her and her husband and it was such a good feeling to just be sitting and, and talking to somebody that I hadn't seen in a long yeah, time. Yeah, that so is really nice. Those were, those, and that was emotions <laughs> on That was Movies Emotions Corner. <laughs> we feel them too. All right. Do you want, do you want to get into it? Yes, let's talk. Let's talk. Let's talk brick. Today, uh, oh, I wanted to try this one too. We're going to, a little precap, if you would. Oh, yes. So, uh, you're going to, we're going to be talking, I'm sure we're going to be talking about, uh, we're going to be talking about dialogue. I'm, I'm, I want to talk about shoes. Yes. Uh, we might talk on anime a little bit. Anything you want to jump in on? Any, any um, little tease of what, uh, oh, confession booths. That's on my mind, too. Interesting. Confession booths. Well, I'm excited to talk about all of those things. Um, I have a couple of a couple of points that I think are, are nice to look at, things that you can learn from watching this movie um, in a repeat from last week. Efficiency, I think, is a is a key thing. Hmm. OK. Oh, you, you mm-hmm. disagree. OK. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I've got a couple of bads. I love the okay. film. Uh, t- uh, t- 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 we're talking about Brick. For, for those of you who haven't seen the iTunes listing, we're talking about Brick today. Um, and and uh, before before we get into the official talk, would you be kind enough to summarize the film? Give us the elevator sure. pitch or the high concept pitch. Oh, you like. gosh, I haven't prepared a high concept pitch for you. So this is Ryan Johnson's Brick, written and directed by Ryan Johnson. I believe it was his directorial debut. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's about, it's set in high school. It's sort of a noirish um, high school mystery movie about a kid who, sort of a loner kid who investigates the death of an ex-girlfriend. Nailed it. That leads us into... The talk. (laughs) So, uh, we're talking about Brick today. We've got, I've got, I've got my goods, I've got my bads listed out, I've got what I love. There's one thing that I love. One thing I will say before we dive too deep into it is if you haven't seen Brick... Turn this podcast off right now because it is a mystery film. It's a noir. The thing unfolds very, very carefully. And there's no way to talk about what they do right without talking about what happens in the film. Spoilers. And um, 99% of movies, 
you can't spoil in my opinion like the way it's 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 not what they say it's how they say it mm-hmm. but this is one where the the plot is woven so carefully that uh and and the reveals are so careful throughout the whole thing that you'd be doing yourself a disservice listening to this first and watching it second so uh we'll we'll just sit here quietly for about an hour and 50 minutes and then when you're done we'll we'll pick up the podcast perfect um and welcome back <laughs> Uh, you want to you want to kick this one off? Why don't you go ahead? It sounds like you have a mixed bag of things to talk about today. I've got a mixed bag. I got a lot of thoughts, a lot of phrases that were popping around in my head while I was watching it. The the this is a genre. There's I I wish this was more pithy because I like the way it sounds. Like I like the meaning behind it. This is a film where this is a an. I've arrived and to prove it, I'm here film. Mm. Like every now and then you get these directors who have a debut film that they're, they're fully formed as, as a, as a brilliant filmmaker. I think mm. like Pi was one of those Memento mm. is Memento the second film. Well, That's Pi, second director. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But Pi is one of those where you're like, Oh, he's arrived and to prove it, he's here already. Mm-hmm, sure. It's, it's just like the, it's, it's popping from, yeah. from minute one. Yeah. It's a film that like, you see it and you instantly understand who that filmmaker is. Yep. Yep. And you know that the career is just going to unfold over decades and you can't wait for the next and the next and the next and the next. Once you know the, once you know the feeling, what do you think? You're, you're all in on this one. I I can't wait to disagree with you. I know I did love it. This is a a nice role reversal because I did love this movie. I I had seen it before, but not for many, many years. So it was fun to rewatch it and remember what it was that I loved about it, you know, originally. Um, And I think For me, as soon as the music kicks in, that opening music, I was, Mm -hmm. you know, I was just like, yes, this is such a good movie. And the tone, the feel of it is established right away. You're just sort of instantly drawn in, which I loved. That was, uh, that was one of the, one of the notes I had was uh, that it it had... Here's the good and the bad. Okay. It's echoing exactly what you said is it has a clear voice. Like this definitely has a voice to it, but I couldn't tell what they were trying to say. For most of the film, do you mean literally, like in the I mean, dialogue, or I mean, oh, okay. what was the point of it all? Oh, and we'll get we'll get into more of that. Yeah. Um, let's talk more goods, though. Let's let's okay. lean on the goods. Well, so I'll just say that along with my earlier comments about efficiency and mm-hmm. drawing you in right away and establishing the tone, I one of the things that I think this movie does really, really well is it doesn't ever feel okay. So a lot of times when you watch movies, the first 10 or 15 minutes feel like they're just trying to establish a world. Mm -hmm. And in this movie, they throw you into the story right away and establish the world as you go. So I never felt like they are trying to establish who this character is before sending him on a journey. He's on the journey from page one and you learn about him and you learn about the world you know, sort of as you watch the story unfold, which I just, I love that. And it feels, um, it feels fresh even now. So many years later, this movie was in when, what year was it? 2006. I believe I could be wrong. I could be very wrong. So, you know, even all these years later, that still feels fresh because so many movies do it the other way, which feel can feel a little bit stagnant in the first, you know, 10 or 15 minutes. And that is where I've Felt like the film was a little too clever by half. Was oh, the first act, uh, and that's that's kind of maybe just me. Is I like my noirs not uh, not visually black and white, but uh, the story to be black and white. Like you mm. watch Sunset Boulevard, you watch Double Indemnity, you watch Bound or Memento. Like even neo noirs, it's it's clear as day what what the point is, where the fallibility is in each character, and what what they're trying to achieve. And I felt I did feel like the first act of this was a little bit sloppy mm. 
is it about the girl? Is it about the brick? Is it about the drug boys? You find out that all of it is about, is it's all interwoven, but I wanted more clarity. Interesting. Uh, like something to, to hang my hat on with the story yeah. at the beginning. Yeah. Okay. So defend I, your opinion I can't, now. Well, I, I can't argue with you. I mean, if that's how you felt about the movie, then I, I get it. Uh, subjective, sure. But um, uh, yeah, for me, it feels it does feel very clear because you immediately, I mean, the first image is seeing him looking at the dead body of his ex-girlfriend, right? But you don't know it's his ex-girlfriend. And no, no, you don't no, know how no. she died. And, no, absolutely. Yeah. But, in, but in the first act, basically, what the movie does is it teases you with that, and then it jumps back to two days earlier. Um, she calls him, I'm in trouble. Uh, she's rambling a little bit, going on about, you know... So she's hooked on heroin by the time she makes that phone call. Is that safe to assume? Um, I think so, yeah. Okay. There's a lot of talk about how much... How much she's doing, how much she's using, yeah. right? And and the stuff that she's using. And she's using. dating Doider. What's Dode. His? Dode. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so. That was one of my favorite lines when he says, I got all five senses and a good night's sleep. The way I see it, I've got one up on all of you or something. <laughs> yes, like the yes. way he says that is so perfect. Yeah. I, I loved a lot of the dialogue. But so in the first act, so they, they establish basically that um, Joseph Gordon Levitt, who's the main character, he is. And another hung up on one, the girl. I've arrived in to prove it, I'm here. Like the, yes, the performance is amazing from start to finish. Yeah. Please continue. I'll uh, try not to interrupt. No, that's okay. But so you get that he's still hung up on this girl who has gone on and had a life without him, regardless of if that was a good choice or a bad choice on her part. Right. We already know she's dead. Um, and so he wants to figure out what it is that she was rambling about because she's missing. Nobody's, yeah. nobody's spoken with her or heard from her or whatever. So he's trying to figure out what's going on with her. And it, and he knows that it has something to do with those rambling things that she said to him. And she uses the four words that become kind of the clues that he follows, right? The brick tug, Pin, pin, and what's the other one? I can't remember, but there are four four the, key the phrases. Last name of one of the juniors or something. One of the kids oh. that only attended one class. Oh, a week. Frisco. That's Is that the one. it. Yep, yeah. Yep, yep. Okay. So those are the four clues that he has to go with right away. Yeah. I I don't I don't think it was ambiguous whether or not she was right to leave him. I think uh, that in the line. Um, You're the only thing I love. Mm -hmm. There's no accidental word in this film. Sure. And when he he calls his girlfriend a thing and says that like like the you're the only even if he had said you're the only person I love it's clear that he's not in a healthy place and the relationship is a catastrophe but that that he doesn't see her as a person i th i felt like it was she was right to yeah. leave that, that and that definitely unfolds i think as as it as the movie plays out yeah. um at that point when she's calling him i think that we assume she's in a worse place without him yes, and yes. that he's sort of the righteous one who's then going to go save her. And then what they show you over the course of the movie is, I mean, they, she, he tried to possess her basically. Yes. He excluded or isolated her from other people. She yep. couldn't be with him anymore because of that isolation. Yep. He at one point pushes her to the ground, whether that was accidental or, you know, whatever. That was an So there was a, you know, there, there was definitely an unraveling of our view of the main character, I think, which, which I loved. I thought yes. that was cool. That's, um, that, that was kind of a beautiful, that whole scene when they're younger. I, okay. There's a, Clearly, I didn't enjoy this. <laughs> There's so much I loved in that scene. Uh, we're going to work backwards. The cut at the end from him with, like, at the end of the scene, he's got his cleanly combed hair, and then it cuts hard to him today mm -hmm. with his messed up hair, and he just looked beat up and rough. Loved that cut. That was yeah. such a beautiful moment. Uh, but before that, 
we got this, I got this rule inside my head that like, if, if you, um, if, if, if I were in an abusive relationship and, and my partner were to hit me once, uh, and they said, sorry, forgiven mm-hmm. twice and I'm gone. Mm-hmm. Like I think, and, and we don't know if that moment is the first time he, he puts a hand on her in a violent way or if it's a second time. And I do, I love the ambiguity yeah. there. Cause there is the look on his face. Like that surprises him too. Right. Cause it is possible to be violent in a moment and be surprised by it and change your whole way of thinking for the rest of your life. Right. We don't know. And yeah. another thing that puzzles me about this film is in the opening, she says, I did what you told me to with the brick, mm-hmm. which I caught on the second time watching it. So now I have to go watch it again to figure out if, what that meant. What that meant. Yeah. Is he involved in the cutting of the heroin? So I don't believe he is, but I think it's an interesting theory that I I hadn't thought of. It, it just wasn't something that I'd considered because I, I assume that what they told us uh, in the end of the movie when they reveal sort of how all the pieces worked, you know, because they have that great scene at the end where he's like... The Let denouement. Me. Yeah, I mean, where he's confronting the ultimate villain, really, and she's, he says you want me to spell it out for you or whatever? And she says, yeah, tell me the story. And he runs through, these are, these are all the things that happened, Mm -hmm. right. That led us to this point. Um, I believed all that. And I know you were saying, I'm, I, I, I am wondering if there are unreliable narrators throughout this whole thing, Mm. including the director. (laughs) And the reality is whatever he put together, all it had to do was track with what had happened and get that brick in her locker. Right. He could have been involved, but that doesn't hold water because if he had, then why would we have spent so much time with him in the pin getting to know each other? Sure. Such a romantic walk (laughs) on the beach really warmed the cuckolds of my heart as they became friends. Well, so speaking of um, other theories, I Mm -hmm. I did read in a little bit of trivia on the movie that one of the theories... Yes, yes. um, ...that I think is posted in a forum on Ryan Johnson's official site or something, is that Brain, the sidekick Mm -hmm. to the main character, the one who's sort of the helper character that shows up with lots of information, um, is all in Joseph Gordon-Levitt's head, that he's not a real character, which I I don't believe, I don't share that theory, but... I thought it was funny that reportedly the response to that theory being posted in the forum by Ryan Johnson, not, not that he posted it, somebody posted the, the theory yeah. and Ryan Johnson's response to it was, that is my favorite theory of all. That, um, here's my thing with that. I, there's all these, uh, they've been dead the whole time. The Ghostbusters aren't even alive. Go watch it again and you'll see that they're ghosts. Thems. All that stuff, like, it's possible to... W- like retrofit a film into a theory. Sure. Does it make the narrative better? Right. I don't believe it. But as you're saying, if there is a lot of like unreliable information that we're Might being be. given, Might be. if, if that's the case, yeah. that's an interesting, you know, potential. It's uh, one of the beautiful piece. things. And one of the difficult things about this film is half of the lines of dialogue mean something else. Like yeah. when the, the, what, what's the actress's name? Uh, Emily DeRaven. Emily. Oh no, Nora Zahetner, the one who, the dark haired girl. Or? Yeah. Uh, who, who ends up in the, the kabuki makeup at the end. 
Oh, the Kabuki makeup. That we're gonna is... call her Kabuki Sue for no, the time. No, I being. know her name and I can't think of it right now. She's like um... when he's leaving the first time. She says, "I could really use you." Mm-hmm. Like it's beautiful noir dialogue yeah. that has so many, yeah. so many ways to read it. There and throughout the film, you get all these little double meanings and yeah. Well, the dialogue is great. We should talk about that for Let's a second. Let's talk about the dialogue because please. it's it's great. Both uh, because of the references that it makes to noir film, right? Which is sort of... They did their homework. Yeah, totally. They totally. Have you read... Um, Dashiell Hammett or... Oh, which one is it? The Apartment. No. Okay, you've seen The Apartment? Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the, the corporate fellas, they're always doing like... And that's about... That's, that's you know, how, how's this going to play out uh, profit-wise over the years? And they mm-hmm. use noun-wise throughout the film. And then the last line of the script is, and that's about it. Story-wise, mm. so there was a line in there. He's uh, they they tucked it in like oh, they did their homework. Yeah, yeah, and and lots of dog whistle jokes for for noir fans. Right, throughout. right. Well, so apparently um, Ryan Johnson is a big noir fan. You do, yeah, yeah. <laughs> shocker. Um, but one of the one of the lines that I loved the most was um, when Nora Zahetner, who's sort of the femme fatale character, right? Mm-hmm. She is. Um, uh, kind of giving him a little bit of a sob story to try to get him to trust her. And yep. he's looking her totally straight faced and just says, you really are dangerous. And he walks away. Yep. Yep. So I'm, yep. I'm paraphrasing. It's something like that, but I was going to say, so the dialogue is great for a lot of different reasons. One, because of the, you know, the references that it makes to noir, which is, um, which this movie is, you know, embodying that spirit, it's, even it's though it's much updating a love letter it. Right. as it is a film. And right. it, it's the same thing with the, the, the revenge of the nerds. Like you can watch it as a documentary or you can watch it as a narrative. <laughs> sure. Um, but the other thing I love about this, the dialogue in this movie is that they, um, it's part of the world. They, mm-hmm. they use really specific dialogue to create the feeling of this insulated world that, you know, there are so few adults in this movie. It's all, it's by and large teenagers with, I think two adults in the entire thing. And, and even when it's teenagers, like when he's walking through the school, there will be three kids half a mile away sitting and talking and they don't feel like people. They feel like props mm-hmm. set in the background. It has yeah. a very, very empty feel. Yeah. And it, I think with that dialogue, that the specificity of that dialogue, what it does is it creates this world that he has to enter. Because if, if you think about it, the clues that he has, his entree to the world are figuring out those clues, which are four words, right? So the dialogue itself creates the new world that he has to enter in order to sort of take this journey and accomplish his goal. That's an interesting take. Now I have to watch it a fourth time, I suppose. <laughs> Just focus on that, on how how he moves through 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 language throughout mm-hmm. it, because it's all from from minute one. The language is popping, and it does it does change, and it does inform the the whole feel. Obviously, <laughs> uh, <laughs> yes, it does. yes, it does. It's great. The dialogue is top notch. <laughs> here's something I was thinking while I was watching it. Was it, uh, this is. Uh, this is as as basic as the sentence I just said, but when you take it, like if you if you put it into your bone marrow, it might be useful. Movies can be anything; mm-hmm. they can be anything. I kept like as I was watching, I kept thinking like, yeah. you can do whatever you want. Yeah, that's great. I think that's what's so fun about the movie too, or that's what is inspiring. Like you're saying, you know, it's you watch it and you're like, oh gosh. I yes. love this and it's not what I was expecting. Yeah. So, you yeah. know, you can do anything. Let's talk about some, let's talk about anime. Have you seen Cowboy Bebop? I haven't. Okay. You're aware of the connection though? I read in the trivia. Okay. Okay. 
I was I didn't read the trivia. I was watching it thinking like this is so cowboy bebopy. There are if you watch I don't know even just the first four or five episodes, you will see he did shots like one to one. There's a one shot of when when uh, Joseph Gordon Levitt comes around the corner. He's just been beat up mm-hmm. and he's. That's another question on my mind. Um, <laughs> he's he's leaning on the wall. He can't walk well. It's a cowboy bebop shot. Uh, the jock. Mm-hmm. Brad, maybe Brian or Brad. He's deep in it, but what? He's not on heroin. He seems like he's on uppers. And the question I had was: Has he ever been on the field? Has he ever been on the field? Why? Because like, all we see him do is complain. At least he's always saying, like, if they don't put me in the game, how am I supposed to win a game for him? Oh, like, is he even yeah. on the team? He's <laughs> such a surreal character. I don't think they conclusively <laughs> let you know one way or the other. But that's an interesting take. I hadn't thought of that I, either. I loved him. <laughs> that was that was that, okay. There, I'm going to say that was economic. Like the first act, I didn't feel was as economic as mm-hmm. maybe you did. But like the the Brad character. In one sentence, you know exactly who he True. is, and he plays it out perfectly through the whole film. Yeah, bads. Aren't we talking about bads? Let's get to some. Um, bads. You tell me. Tell me what you didn't like about it, because I have no complaints. Here was the biggest problem I had in the first watch through that felt much better in the second walk watch through. Um, I wasn't riding one hundred percent with them because I couldn't believe that a high school kid could be that world weary. It felt like they were taking the tropes of a 45-year-old detective who's been barely making rent his whole life and just shoveled them on this kid. Second time through, it felt a little better, but mm-hmm. still, I was like... I get that. It's it's stylized. I yeah. mean, it, it's intentionally taking all of those noir tropes, right? Mm-hmm. And, and giving them, you know, it, like putting them into the world of a high school student. Yeah. So, yes, there there is, of course, a bit of that... Um, you know, buy-in that you have to accept for to to enjoy the movie. But I will say, I thought that they filled in the backstory nicely. That you're sort of like, I get why he would have isolated himself from other yep. people. I get he burned some bridges. He feels guilty. Like I accept all of that stuff. So, and then on the second viewing, uh-huh. it's the the part that that was bugging me. That was kind of an itch at the back of my neck. Was uh, when Tugger is playing chicken with him. He's just standing in the middle of the street and Tugger comes down and at 60 miles an hour. I thought like there, there's no high school kid who could take that, mm-hmm. but then they show his face and he couldn't take it. Mm-hmm. He looks like completely terrified and overwhelmed by the whole thing. And then yeah. he has to recollect himself before he, he talks to Tugger. Yeah. Two things. I, I, I think that was the they, two things I didn't like. Okay. Um, there were two and here was here. And this didn't clean up on the second viewing. There were two times, a movie this tight, a movie this surreal, I like to keep it in Tupperware, and there were two times that they kind of cracked the Tupperware lid and winked at all of us. That was my feeling. There was the one line when um, they're talking about the pin for the first time, and he says, he's he's an older fella, 26 or so. (laughs) Got a belly laugh from me the first time, but that is, it did feel like... like, Although I will say, I've heard high school kids say things like that, and... And so I believe that from that point of view, if you're in high school and you're like, oh, he's he's way older than us. He's in his 20s. Yeah. I mean, I buy it. But the way they set it up and the, it felt like a set up punchline sure. joke. Like we know we're in this surreal world. Wink, wink, wink. Right, right. That, there was that one. And the other kind of set up punchline joke that took me out of the surreality of it all was uh, when we finally see Tugger's family. We see Tugger's family or the Pins family. Oh no! Wait, who? It's it's like one shot. Uh, the our main guy comes up the stairs, or he goes through a door, 
and sees Tucker's family and they all have the, the white shirts on. Oh, see, I didn't think that was his family. It, did they say that? No, I thought they were like his uncle, aunts and uncles and parents and brothers and sisters. Oh. Like he came from a huge family so, of muscle bound. I did not interpret it that okay, way. How'd you take it? I assumed because, you know, so the pin is the, mm-hmm. the drug king pin, yes. right? For the area. I, I just assumed- watched Witness like a couple of weeks ago doing research. That's Lucas Huzz, the little boy. Yeah. That's the pin. Yeah, the pin. <laughs> He's all grown um, up. So I assumed that they were his men. Like okay. they, they were his sort of foot soldiers in his drug uh, army. Right? And then finding out, like, the first time you go to the pin, you don't know who all those folks are in the hallway. Mm-hmm. And, or I'm so dumb, I didn't figure out that they were the junkies. <laughs> um, shoes. Yes. How good is that scene when they're running? Which which running scene? There, it's it it's the. There are um, a lot of shots of shoes in this movie. You, first of all, you got to watch Cowboy Bebop because okay. the the uh, Joseph Gordon Levitt's acting. He he translates something that I've only seen in animation and never ever imagined it could have been live action. Mm. Uh, the main character of Cowboy Bebop, he fights in that same style where it's kind of like sloppy flailing, mm-hmm. but the punch always lands square on the jaw. Nice. And uh, I felt it, like that was very realistic. The punch? That was the, the weird fighting, thing. Yeah. The, the fighting felt very stylized for a movie, but that's I, what I imagine fighting would be a lot more flopping around right. and landing like every now and then. hoping that you're connecting yeah. and, and trying to just stay out of the path of, of flying fists. I imagine that's what, yeah, <laughs> that's yeah. what it would be like in real life. But I think the cinematic part is that uh, he always landed the punch sure. square on the jaw, <laughs> right. perfectly right where he meant to. Uh, the shoe, the, they're running down the hall and you hear the sound of his feet and then he takes his shoes off mm-hmm. and then does the slide out, which is, it just loved it. Yeah. I loved the sound design. Yeah. It really, really came to it life. It was great. And the confession booth. Let's get to that oh, one. Oh yes. What's, Did you not catch what's, this? What's the confession booth that you're talking about? The visuals of when he goes down to the library to talk to the brain and we're seeing through like these kind of two small windows of the books. Mm, I did not put that together. Totally felt like confession booth <laughs> scene. It. I did not put that together. I will say another scene that I really loved, though, is when he goes, I, and this may have felt a little bit too, like you were saying, like a little too wink, wink, right? Mm-hmm. I love the scene with the vice principal where he calls him into his office One and they have favorites. that, they have that like back and forth that you're like, this is exactly the scene that it would be in any noir film, except it's a high school student and a vice principal, you know? Love that yeah. line. I didn't, I didn't give you Chuck because I wanted to see you fed. I wanted to see him eat. And however he yeah, says it, it's yeah. so, so perfectly good. written. Yeah. So well written that even the vice principal has to comment on how well said that line <laughs> right. is. Yes. Um, so it's just a love fest over here for, for Brick. Oh, what, we haven't even started. What, we haven't I was going to say, I what, even, what I don't even you hit. like? <laughs> I thought I said the first act, I feel like it was a little bit yeah. sloppy. I wanted a clear, like, sure. this is our guy and this is why he's our guy and this is what he's trying to achieve. Mm-hmm. We did not have that in the first mm-hmm. 30 minutes. Um, I'm going to call back to uh, Eternal Sunshine, mm-hmm. which also doesn't have that in the first 30 minutes. And I was trying to think, like, why did it bug me in this one, but not in that one? And I think it's because in Sunshine, it's an emotional journey. Mm-hmm. And this is a highly intellectual journey. We got to mm-hmm. figure out how she went, who's doing mm-hmm. the drugs, who's cutting the drugs. Like, it's really a right. thought right. a thought experiment. And the other one is an emotion experiment. Mm-hmm. And I think that was why this one yeah. felt a little... I mean, dude, we're... Like... It's awesome. It's obviously an awesome film. And we haven't even gotten to my favorite thing. Oh, okay. And we're about to blow the lid off of this before we go over to the pitch. <laughs> okay, let's hear it. Uh, the first time you see the Brachiosaurus in Jurassic Park. Uh-huh. When Trinity jumps in the Matrix. Like, mm-hmm. these are shots, moments in film history. Just put them in the archive. 
this film had one of those for me. Like just okay. this is what filmmaking is about. And he did something better than I've ever seen done in noir or the scene where our main guy crawls out of the room. Uh, tug, It's Tug and the pin are fighting. Mm-hmm. He crawls out. Mm-hmm. Uh, they fight to the point that the lights go out. He grabs the gun and throws it into the room. Yep. He doesn't care who died. Like just this perfect <laughs> agent of chaos. Yeah. A completely like in a, in a mental nadir. Yeah. Loved it. Just, I've never seen that. Yeah. And I, I was, I was baffled by yeah, how beautiful I think it was. There were, there were a number of little moments like that, or like, I won't say it's a little moment, smaller, um, just sort of surprises throughout the movie where because it's drawing so heavily on, st- on other stuff, it's referencing other stuff so mm-hmm. much, you sort of expect to know how everything's going to go. And so when it can surprise you in little ways like yep. that, like, oh, did not see that coming, it feels really cool. It feels like, oh, they, they weren't slacking on this. They weren't yeah. just copying something. They were making something new, you know? That's, I think that's what the problem was. Not the problem. It was, it was a forest from the trees issues. This film, I think I read it was six years that he'd been working on the script. So he knew where it was all ending up. But mm. for us audience members who are coming in for the first time, I do feel like we didn't have. I think it. it was like a he knew it. He knew every page, every word right. of it by the time they started shooting. And, he, you know, you start out with 15 twists. By the end, there were 700 twists. But good Lord, that throwing a gun in a dark room. With yeah. Your two allies, the two people that you've been working your whole the whole story to, right. to <laughs> endear yourself to them. And just be like, one of them's got to go. Yeah. And I don't care which but one. He was, he was never, he was never fully, um, aligned with them. You know what I mean? Like he's, he wasn't a loyal, no, 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 you know, no, which no. I, I love. I just love the character. Yeah. Like he was just sort of like, I was playing the role that I needed to play to get where I needed to go. And now I'm blowing it all up. Did he win at the end? Um, he solved the mystery. So I think that is a win, but I think we can consider this, you know, sort of a, a, it was definitely a bittersweet victory for him. Right. Because, um, I think she's still dead. She's still dead. And I think also his motivations in, in wanting to solve this for her, like we were talking about earlier, they weren't entirely pure. I mean, he was doing it out of love, but we get the sense that that love was a little bit of a twisted you know, kind of affection. Um, so I think that there's a, something kind of, you know, dark about the ending there. And then also the the final, the final knife in the back from Nora Zahetner, I thought. Wait, wait, what's the final knife? Give me that one more time. So he lays out the solution for her. She, yeah. you know, she says, do you want to tell me how it happened or whatever? And he, he kind of runs us through the entire plot. Mm-hmm. Um, and she says nine out of 10, right? Mm-hmm. And he's like, what's, what did I miss? And she said, um, uh, you know, the Emily DeRaven, what was her name in the movie? Emily, yeah. I think. Um, we find out along the way that she was pregnant, right? And so at the oh, end, yeah. Nora Zahetner says, um, she says that she, or she told me she wished that she could keep the baby, but she didn't love the father. And then Nora Zahetner sort of unpacks for him that he was the father. That And so this girl that he loved so much that he put himself through this entire thing to, you know, out of love to solve yeah. her to solve the mystery of her death, she didn't love him, you know. And that was that was another moment where I was like, okay, this is 6 years of development. By that time, like the who the father was, the twist had been twisted so many it was like mm. juggling 15 balls of it, Right. It, now he's the father. Now he's the father. Now he's right. the father. like just st- let's stack another twist and another twist yeah. and another twist. So, but so, I, but what I think is really interesting about that moment is it's the unreliable narrator too. It's like is yes. she just telling him that to, to cheese him off? Yeah, yeah, or or was that true and which would he rather have it be, you know? Yes. 
Such a good movie. Such a did good we, movie. Did we did we touch on everything? Agent of Chaos, punchlines, a hair out of place, confession booth. Yes. Oh, that. And this was the big. This was the big problem I hit on. Not the big problem, but the big question I had. It kind of opened up a bigger question about film. Is there's so much weaving and bobbing and dodging throughout the whole film, and then it all comes out in this big denouement. But. The, the feeling I got by the end of it was, uh, the, the, what, the note I wrote down was, all of it, none of it matters. Hmm. That I, I kind of, I don't know, I got this feeling like it's, does any of it? I mean, you could have swapped this character out for that character and this other thing could have happened and they could have, it just ended up being an all of it, none of it matters feeling. Interesting. I disagree, but, you may. but That's interesting. Your yeah, yeah. For me, I like the I like the movies that sort of take us someplace a little bit um, bittersweet or dark in the ending, where it's like the solution to the the goal, right? Is is there? He he got what he wanted, but it happened in a way that he didn't see coming, and that doesn't necessarily make him happy. I find those endings fulfilling. <laughs> so. Well, it wasn't just the ending. It was all the work we did to get there. Mm-hmm. Felt like it could all of half of it could have been swapped out for something completely different. As long as it was bleak, it would have been fine, and they would have shot mm. it beautifully, and it would have sounded. The dialogue would have crackled. But then that's like a fundamental question: Is, is there any reason to right. make or watch a film right. ever? Because right. it could all be something else anyway. Yeah. So I don't so. think so. I mean, I don't think it could have been something else because it was very specifically a story about a, a guy who had removed himself from the world. And was forced to come back to the land of people to do this thing. Mm-hmm. And in the end, he didn't change. He, re- he realized basically, no, 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 people are all still terrible and the world is terrible and I don't want to be a part of it. Then maybe it was successful. If you walk away from a, no- a noir thinking like all of it, none of it matters, right. maybe the film... That's, like, that's the point. <laughs> yeah, it, it, the, the medicine inside worked. Yeah, there you go. You've been inoculated from the hope of joy in your <laughs> life again. Did you notice the clocks turn in his room? Like they always no. face the camera. I'm, I could be wrong about this, but the... The clocks in his room are very suspicious. They always seem to be facing the camera no matter where he is, even if it's at the same... I had not noticed that. Interesting. Uh, Guess what? Watch it a fifth time. (laughs) Yeah, time to rewatch. All right. And that leads us to... The Pitch. (laughs) Uh, Okay, I I really... I would love to keep talking about... um, Brick. There's yeah. so much to say, and we'll probably talk about it again off mic in the future after we've watched it a couple more times. Uh, but, but let's get into let's get into Mechanicsburg. Oh, Mechanicsburg. Well, do you want to explain wh- how this pitch came about, or no? Yes, I watched Brick, and then I thought <laughs> I have to come up with a pitch by next Thursday. Excellent. Okay. So um, some of the some of the common threads are it's it's a it's meant to be a noir. It's meant to be a heightened uh, delivery. Of a bleak story, mm-hmm. and it's it's high school kids. Not not just. I mean, of course, there's a lot of other characters in the mm-hmm. periphery. Probably more more representation, less less ageism than Ryan Johnson had. <laughs> okay, Ryan or Rian? I think it's Ryan. I'm gonna go with Ryan. Yeah. Today. Uh, so Mechanicsburg is that a common? Is that in Pennsylvania? Yeah, okay. you got it. You I've got heard it. of it. A suburb of Harrisburg, so it's across the river, and you can see the skyline of Harrisburg okay. from there. Cool. Um, we're kind of we're we're taking it a little further out from suburbs and more like a small country town. But I just like the name Mechanicsburg. Yeah, it's kind of got a it. It has a it has a nice feel to it that feels um, tonally right. Yeah, 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 yeah. I can imagine a noir <laughs> that takes place in a place called Mechanicsburg. Yeah. Possible alternate title is Blackwater, but I, that might already mm. be taken, and it's not as punchy. And that feels like that military contractor. 
Oh, okay. Forget it. There's no alternate <laughs> title. Sorry. This is a hiccup. Uh, we'll cut that out later. Um, I think I have a, yes, here's your, here's, here's your log line. A high school student thinks he's found a way out of his crumbling hometown when he finds stacks of hundreds in the seat of an old junker that he's working on. Too bad for him. Nobody escapes Mechanicsburg. I like it. Yeah. <laughs> so he finds uh, this is well. I've got a lot of notes. I'm going to give it to you, basic, and yep. then we can you can ask questions, and I'll try to either answer them or make up an answer on the spot. Perfect. So he's he's a a, a bit of an outsider. Uh, he works on junkers. I don't reckon that he's ever driven the car. I don't think he's built anything street legal, but he'll kind of chop up this car and that car and put it together and make this funky car. Anyway, he buys a, an old beater for a hundred bucks and pushes it home one day and starts gutting it for parts. And he's, he cuts through the, the upholstery on the chair and he finds just bills, hundreds of hundred dollar bills, old bills too, like from the fifties, like mm. the, the, not somebody's money that they just tucked away. Like this is forgotten money. Uh, totally clean, which is like, there's nobody looking for it, which is good, but it's unspendable. You can't walk into a, a bank and be like, I want to deposit, you know, mm-hmm. $500,000 in <laughs> you know, half century old money right now. Right. No questions asked, please. Sir. So he finds that and he gets it in his head that he's, he's going to get out of Mechanicsburg. Everybody wants to leave, but nobody can. It's like one of those dark city towns where you just mm. can't get out. It's junkies, like old, old addicts, Vietnam war vets, mothers at 15, just one of those dying America towns has been gutted by, by the, the horribleness of capitalism. And let's stay <laughs> focused on the pitch. So he, he gets, he gets his, his train ticket and uh, he's got his backpack filled with the money and he's sitting in the train station uh, all alone at night Somebody comes in, pulls a knife on him. Uh, he's twitchy already because the, 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 this is high stakes for him. Sure. Um, the conflict escalates and he ends up uh, murdering his assailant, mm. which means he cannot jump town. Mm. Because if there's a murder at the train station, all they have to do is look down the roster. Who left? Who's the one person from this town who's not here today that was here yesterday? Sure. Oh, he's the one who got on the train last night after this robbery at the train. He becomes suspect number one. So now he's stuck in the town trying to lay low, keep the money secret and try to figure out how to how to escape. Of course, there are no secrets in a town that small. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the There was a witness. Not sure if it was to the murder or to the aftermath of him trying to escape. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's there's a girl from his high school who has seen it and wants to know what's going on. So she starts trying to pull information out of him and uh, kind of seduce it out of him. Mm-hmm. But not, not through sex, through compassion. Mm-hmm. Um, then... Her mom starts trying to seduce him with sex. Like it just gets messier and messier, and he's like everybody's eyes keep closing in on him. When any eye would make him more twitchy, and it just keeps building and building and building until the end. And I was thinking it would be cool to go much more bleak than brick. I want him dead at the end. Mm. Before he dies, I want him to kind of. At the end, I want him to be emotionally where our brick fellow was when he pushed his girlfriend out, like trying to mm-hmm. he's he's got the money. He wants more like he's tasted the power that it can get him. He's taste he's tasted money. And now he's tasted this girl's affection, even if he doesn't understand that it's just because she wants something from him, not because she's affected by him. Sure. Uh, so he kind of goes 
he does the deep dive. Like he goes down, down, mm-hmm. down, down, down. Uh, and she's working the situation to get the, to get, once she finds out why he was running and what he's got in his back pocket, she wants it for herself and is able to work it that she gets it. Yeah. And she does get out of oh, Mechanicsburg. I like that. Well, so I, I really like it in terms of a, um, a setup for mm-hmm. a movie. That's uh, where it's the clearest act one in my head. That's like the, sure. That's how it always is. <laughs> I mean, not for you, for everyone in general. Yeah. Like when you think of a movie idea, generally you have the setup clear because yeah. that's the, that's what's intrigued you about an idea and then figuring out the rest of it is. And that's double tricky for noir because the, like the, it's so ending based when you're working in mm. these kind of mystery noir sure. suspense stories, you've got to know where it lands. Right. So there's kind of, we've got the setup. I'm kind of like a little, I've got half of the ending. And then, like I was saying for Brick, in the middle, all of it, none of it matters. Once you know where you're going to land, then you just weave all these people together and make them be horrible to each other. Well, so here's, here's one one thing I would ask is, um, because what sounds to me um, sort of the squishiest about the Mm -hmm. middle of it right now. That's your word. Sometimes things just don't feel clear and firm, and so they're squishy. That's the word. That's your word, and it's going to stick. But so in the middle section, I think um, just the way you've described it, and you might have some other ideas already Mm -hmm. happening, but it, it kind of sounds like the girl is actually the one who's sort of moving the story forward because she's pursuing something, whereas he's just trying to lay low, right? So I wonder if you might consider introducing some other force of antagonism or opposition to him so that he has something to act against, right? That's a little bit more because you want her to be kind of ambiguous, mm-hmm. I, I think, right? Because yeah. she's, yeah, she's yeah, sort yeah. of that female yeah, she's character in the Machiavellian noir movie, the femme fatale, right? You don't you want to know, like, or he, you you want it to seem like he can trust her at times, but then also have the audience sort of wonder, like, can she be trusted, and have him wonder, yeah. and all that stuff, right? Yep, so, yep, yep. so I feel like you also need a a slightly more definitively bad person or force or something that's that's also working against him whether that's the police that are solving the crime that's, they were that's your, they were okay. involved and not only are they the, the thing about the police is they're not solving the crime they're completely corrupt mm-hmm. and want to know more about him like the crime doesn't so they just they they reckon he's a he's a harrisburg junkie who came down trying to get money for a fix or something like that um so the, the the they're more interested in everything else about like he's just a mm-hmm. dead body. Nothing's going to happen with him now. He's gone. Right. But the cops are very very interested in our main guy. Clay yeah. is is what Clay. I'm calling him. Okay, so. I like that. So so I do think you might need some sort of clear uh, clue or tip tip off telltale something to the to the police to get them interested in him right away mm-hmm. beyond just because if you're saying the police are corrupt and they're they don't care about the death of this junkie they're but they care very much about this guy who murdered the junkie and then got away yes. i think there needs to be something clear about their interest in him like either you know it could be anything. The bad version, I'll pitch you the bad version, okay. is that they they see him on the surveillance video, look in his bag and see all the money. And they're like, well, that's the guy that we want to find. Right. So something to set them on his. Sorry. There it is. That's my favorite moment. You can cut that, right? I will not. I can, but I will not. Uh, so something to set them on on pursuing him um, <laughs> so that it feels like there is a clear sort of narrative thrust, right? So that it it's not, because I, I, I think your impression of Brick is that it's just a bunch of 
people doing things to each other and, but, it, and it unfolds in a way that, that maybe doesn't have that. But, was, but I don't think that's true. I think that he is very clearly following a, a trail of clues and there are other people who are doing things that interfere with him solving that yes, crime. But my point wasn't that it's all arbitrary. My point is that it was all arbitrary. <laughs> Do you get the difference? It's no. just that it could have been any challenges along the way. And sure. It could have been a, a, a theater girl who wears a different mask every time he shows up or it could have been a different archetype represented in a different like it right it 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 all felt very kind of hot swappable i disagree but awesomely done (laughs) impeccably done done. beautifully done clever in in its execution right but uh, okay here's the reality of this argument i'm making is that like it's stupid so we can move on from it. It's completely illegitimate. Um, it's like, well, at Jurassic Park, it could have been a T-Rex or it could right. have been a, a different dinosaur right, that right. ate the car. Not really a robust argument that I'm putting here on the there table. So let's, let's just breeze through my... Yeah, but so, that's, but so that's sort of the thing that I would be um, cautious of is mm-hmm. to not have sort of clear enough um, objectives for each of your parties, even if they're not, even if they're, sorry, I can't speak. Even if they're intentionally unambiguous to each other. Intentionally unambiguous. So they're focused. Intentionally ambiguous. Okay. One of the things I do want to play with about this is he is always wondering who knows if he has the money or not. Mm -hmm. So the, if are the cops after him as a suspect are the cops after him because they want a 90% cut of what he found in the car he doesn't know and i think right. by dint of that the audience wouldn't know until the third act okay so you you do want to keep it so that we don't know if the police are coming after him because they know they yeah. have they, like i do want to lead okay. into ambiguity because what I saw in Brick was leaning into ambiguity and it was very inspiring to see sure. how you could noodle with that. But I will say, if you have the police coming after him mm-hmm. and we don't know why they're coming after him, I feel like you can only play that for so long yeah. before we're like, okay, so it's just, we're just watching an hour long chase then. Mm-hmm. There are heaps of heaps of other characters. <laughs> So it's a little bit, um, that's my only concern is that it, it may, if, if, if the appeal of the mm-hmm. middle, if the appeal of act two, so don't get me wrong. Well, I really like the tone and the feel and the setup. The I, setup's I like all of that stuff. Can we try an experiment for a yeah. minute? Mm-hmm. Let's talk, let's focus a little bit on act three and try mm-hmm. to get that a little bit more, uh, coalesced in our heads because I feel like we're, you know, swimming in the dark on sure. act two, not knowing where it lands. Uh, one thing I was thinking somewhere in my notes, I have this is that the, 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 her name is Rosalind. Uh, and I was, I, I was thinking it would be good if she's playing both him and his best friend at the same time. And I don't know how that would shake out. Is that worth exploring? Yeah, I think that's great because you, you, that feels in keeping with sort of the, the things that we expect from the genre that you're playing with. Right. Um, she's, and I think she wants, Clay dead, mm-hmm. and I think Niles is Niles is the name of the best friend. I think she wants Clay dead, and I think she wants Niles to be responsible, mm-hmm. so that she can get the money. Niles can take the heat for Niles is the one who gets in trouble for all of it, and then yeah. she can she can get away with with uh, all eyes on Niles. Uh, so I'm trying to figure out how we can get her to get Niles to be responsible for Clay's death whether it's intentional or accidental mm-hmm. or what are your thoughts on that? 
Uh, I, I think that you have a lot of good options there. It could be accidental. It could be intentional. Uh, it could be she's, she's the one who actually kills um, Clay and then sets Niles up for it. I think you could go any any direction you want to with that. Um, I don't know that... So for me, the act two is what you're watching, right? Like that's, yeah, the, yeah, yeah. That's, that's, the, that's the meat of it. Yeah, that's the meat of the movie. So I think you can make any decision you want about how act three plays out to get where you want it to land, mm-hmm. which you already know where you want it to land. Uh, and that's all going to be great and satisfying and fun for the audience. Um, act two is the part that is Bless all, you. It, <laughs> it's always the part to figure Isn't out. Isn't that a good joke? <laughs> Took me a second, but yes. <laughs> um, but so, so basically it's, this is one of those movies that just has a lot of moving parts and you're just going to have to sort of like chart them out, figure out what you want each person to be doing. Who knows what, when that's the thing that you really have to track, who knows what, when, and then just kind of like weave that all together. Um, right now to me, it sounds like the girl has a very strong line of action. She wants to, she wants to figure out what's, sketchy about this guy or what he's doing, what he's into. Right. And then once she finds out that he has the money, which I don't know where you're planning to have her figure that out, but once she has that information, then she's going to try and set this plan into motion to get the money Mm -hmm. and get rid of the guy. Right. So that's great. I see her story a hundred percent. Yeah. It's a little bit of a puzzle. I'm right there with you where the first act feels very much like it could just be clay for the first 20 minutes Mm -hmm. and then everything else is this other character. Well, so so. what's great about it though, is that you have this kind of um, thematic idea that you bring up just from your, um, your tagline and and the idea of it, right. Which is nobody escapes or nobody gets out of Mechanicsburg. Was that what you said? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, So nobody gets out. Right. So, I mean, you have this, this sort of idea to play with of once he meets the girl, does he want to leave anymore? Maybe he's questioning his future. Maybe he, he really be, wants he to could stay. Be the king of Mechanicsburg. Right. What he's got in his back exactly. pocket. And if she likes him, right. Then this could be. So then that becomes his act two goal is like once he kind of gets involved with the girl, he's not just trying to lay low. He's now trying to figure out how to build this new future that he didn't know he could have in Mechanicsburg and only to have that all kind of unravel and fall apart because of the girl. Right. So. You think it's you think it's worth it to uh, to kind of bait and switch the audience that that violently? I mean, it I is noir, that. so I think you can get away with it. But yeah, I don't see that as a bait and switch. What do you mean? Oh, I mean that that we're riding with Clay for an hour and a half, oh, and then I in see. the last half hour, uh, we take Clay away from the audience and give all the spoils to somebody who is fundamentally horrible. Yeah, well, so I don't think you kill him half with a half an hour left. I think he dies probably with. Five minutes left or ten okay. minutes left, oh, right? Okay. Yeah, yeah. And it's just the final shot where you realize she's been the mastermind yes. behind this whole thing, and she walks away with the money or whatever. Okay. Yeah, but he's still trying to win through Act Three until he loses at the very end, essentially. Okay. But and that's I always get in trouble because whatever I write, it ends bleak. But and now here I am in, in noir, and I'm like, is that too bleak? Like it's the one genre where you can go as, as miserable as you want sure. in the last ten minutes. Just yeah. the whole world is uninhabitable. I think it's fun. I think when if I think when you do a twist like that, well, when you when you really do the work to like invest us in the characters and make us think it's going one way, and then you if you can pull the rug out from under the audience in a way that is clever and that. Yeah 
you know, you have to give the audience that opportunity to see it coming, but do it so well that they didn't see it coming. Yep, it's yep, satisfying. Yep. I love that when a, when a script or a movie surprises me to the point where I'm like, Oh, I could have figured that out, yes, but I didn't because yes, 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 yes. I was enjoying the story so much. And they, they just, you know, they yep. got me. So, so I guess moving forward, I, I reckon I'd have to iron out act three. I feel, I feel a lot closer to act three mm-hmm. after this conversation. That's, that's, uh, not lip service. I feel a lot closer to Act Three mm-hmm. after after having run it over. One of the nice things about this is I pitch to everyone now. If I'm sitting at a bar and someone leans over and asks what I'm doing, they're in for like a ten minute discussion nice. about Mechanicsburg. Um, what was my thought? I had a thought. Uh, so going forward, you were going saying. forward. Iron out that Act Three. I think I think the strategy would be to iron out, out Act Three, mm-hmm. then put all those gears in the watch for Act Two. And then go back and figure out how to pepper the hints throughout. Have you ever read Spy vs. Spy, the seminal classic of American literature as published in the venerable pages of Mad Magazine? I don't think so. Okay. <laughs> this is totally like, as much as the inspiration is brick, the inspiration is Spy vs. Do you know the premise? There's a black spy and a white spy and... That's one, about they, all I know. Yeah. They, one of them will kill the other one in every issue. So. Oh, okay. And usually how the story goes is the... Black spy will have uh, one spy will have a plan, and then the other spy has a better plan that mm. subverts the original plan. There's a gray spy sometimes, and she's a woman spy. And when mm. she's on the scene, she will kill both black and white spy every time. This is as inspired by Spy versus Spy <laughs> as it is. Well, that's perfect. You by, can put that in the trivia of, yes. your, of your movie. I will start populating the IMDb page with with uh, with trivia that yeah. nobody asked for. Uh, I will say this: of of all the things that you've pitched me, this mm-hmm. feels to me um, like something I would watch. Well, thank you for shitting on everything else I've done. <laughs> no, no, no. Like the other, the other things tend to be like wackier type yeah, comedies. Yeah, yeah. And this to me is just something, you know, like I would go out and see this movie because it would be, it would probably remind me of Brick and it would feel like I was going to get something meaty and, yep. you know, so. To be honest of everything I've pitched, this is the one I'm feeling like this, this is the most realistic of all of them. Yeah. Like Boogie Down Beach House is fun, but sure. it's not really like. It's wacky. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um. <laughs> And uh, yeah, I did. I, I was happy. I was having a lot of fun trying to write something that wasn't just like goofball. Yeah. What was the first one I pitched? Gosh, I'm trying to remember now. Actually, I, I do remember away, liking it? it. It was the summer camp one. Oh, the kids yeah, with the rotters. Yep, yeah, yep, yeah. Yep, yep, yep. Yeah, that one. And that one was kind of very half formed when I pitched it. Yeah, but there's an idea there, too. There but of all of them, this is this is the one that I feel is like the most viable option of everything we've discussed so far. Well, you know, what's interesting, I think, about this one is even though you probably have less of the plot lot figured out of this one. It's really what you have right now is the setup and the, and the third act, how you want it to land. Right. Which is great. Um, and I think you'll come up with the plot very quickly because it's all about motivating those characters to try to do something and then just watching them kind of butt heads, right. To interact. Like you get to play in, in Hades when you're doing noir, like you just get Mm -hmm. horrible people doing horrible things to each other, but pretending to not be horrible. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, And trying, yeah. And trying to smooth talk. It's (laughs) so much fun to play in that, that, arena. Yeah. But I think that's really what's appealing about your pitch is so even though you do have maybe less of the actual plot figured out, I I'm intrigued by the characters and watching, you know, like I want to watch them do horrible things to each other. Yeah. yeah. No, it's a lot of fun. This brick (laughs) reminded me how much fun it is to watch miserable people ruin each other's lives. Thank you for for taking the time. Are you ready for the final segment of this program? Sure. All right. Then it is time for... Something, anything else. 
So this is the part of the show where we put movies to the wayside and talk about literally anything other than movies. Just to prove to y'all at home that, that Naomi and I uh, were fully formed adult human beings who have interests in this world. Or at least we're able to pretend. Yeah, for, for five minutes a week. So so what have you got? What, what is your something anything uh, else today? So my something anything else is another podcast. Ooh. So not too far from, from the media we've been talking about. But um, so clearly the Hollywood Fishbowl, one of the hottest rising stars of the the podcast industry. I feel like that one gets enough play. So I'm going to talk about something else. (laughs) You're making me smile and blush. Tell Uh, us what what have we got? What have you found? A longtime friend of mine just started a new podcast and it's about marketing. So it's not everyone's, you know, Mm -hmm. interest uh, area of interest, but um, what I think is, is really, can we get the title? Sure. It's called uh, social currency. Okay. So th- not m- movie marketing, just no. marketing in general. Understanding. Yeah, yeah. I believe I've been listening to this show oh. once a week and I've en- enjoyed it quite a bit because Excellent. it's a, it's a, a very important uh, area and it's an, an area of ignorance. So I'm going to let you talk about it and then I'll agree with you as you go. <laughs> yeah. So it's about, um, it's about all things digital, I think is what they say. My friend works in, um, digital marketing for a big company. Um, but so yes, the, the content is great and I actually find it really interesting to listen to. I listen to it every week as well. What I think is really cool about it though, is, is this realization that I had, which is that although we've been friends for a really long time, I've never worked with her. We're, we're old school friends, right? So I don't, even though I, I know her well and I know she's incredibly smart and accomplished, I never get to see her in her zone of genius, you know? Mm -hmm. And so for me, it's really cool to listen to this friend of mine, who's a really good friend and, and just sort of like, hear her be awesome at what she does, you know? And so I just think that's really cool. I think one of the beautiful things about podcasting is that we can, we can build relationships and build empathy with people that we have never met. We get to know them very well and very intimately. So you're talking about how you've known her for, for quite some time and only now you're getting to know her genius. Uh, I only know her through, through her brilliance and her wisdom on this, on the topic of marketing. So what I'd like for you to do right now on mic is give us the dirt. I I need to know what you know about her. Well, we were, uh, we were on the high school dance team together. So lots of embarrassing things there. We used to compete go around the state and compete with other high school mm-hmm. dance teams. And there's a lot of hairspray and blush. Okay. Um, that's embarrassing. Man, enough. you get messy when you're on my... <laughs> It, it, it is a, it's a good podcast. I have subscribed and I do listen to it every week yeah. because it's, it's really loaded with, with important information about, uh, about marketing. Like it's yeah. just, I don't know. And I don't have friends around me who want to sit down for 30 minutes every week and explain yeah. uh, from, from uh, the basics to the details of, of understanding marketing. So exactly. an invaluable resource yes, so and social- also a valuable resource. <laughs> So Social Currency, the podcast, uh, and a hello to my friend, Jess Jensen. Hi, Jess Jensen. Thank you for doing what you do. We both we both appreciate it. Um, it my turn? Yes, go for All it. All right. Mine is way less useful for anyone. <laughs> so uh, I don't know if you know this, but I'm, I'm a pretty big fan of, uh, of uh, like no- novelty rap singles over the years. I didn't know that. Okay. I, I had a little bit of a clue from the first time we spoke when you were quoting Paperboy. We're going uh, Paperboy. Yeah, which Did, you were you were rapping Paperboy at me. Which one is Paperboy? Isn't that the one with the with the, my name in the in the rap? 
or was it a different song? Oh, no, 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 no. What song uh, was Skilo. it? Oh. I, wish, uh, I wish I was a little bit taller. I wish oh, I was right. a baller. I wish I had right. a girl with a phone. Yes, 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 yep. yes, yes. Yep, you got it. That's, <laughs> okay, so we're, we're, going, we're going down a garden path. We're going to walk okay. about 50 miles to get somewhere that nobody would want to go anyway. Okay. Let me introduce you to this band. It's called Yellow Magic Orchestra. They're a, an electronic kind of synth band from Japan that were popping in the late 70s, early 80s. Um, this is a song they did. It's called Behind the Mask, uh, which you might recognize as an uh, Eric Clapton covered this one. But anyway, we'll get into that in a minute. First, okay. let's set up Yellow Magic Orchestra Behind the Mask. Here it comes. They're kind of like a like Daft Punk when Daft yeah. Punk was a zygote. They were kind of doing this. <laughs> yeah, jammy. I like it. Oh, we're not done. We're not even close to done. I'm just. This is like phase one of 15 phases okay. that we're going down. All right, so you kind of get the vibe of behind the mask. Yeah. All right, part two. Now, were you a Simpsons fan growing up? I was. Did you did you, did you own the album uh, Simpsons Sing the Blues? Were I did you aware not know. No, I did not know there was okay. an album. So the Simpsons, when they were kind of at the peak of their early fame, they made this blues-ish album where most of the tracks were covers of, of kind of famous blues songs, like uh, God Bless the Child Who Has His Own or Her mm-hmm. Own, depending on the gender. Mm-hmm. Um, but there were two kind of standout tracks. There was uh, Nothing, uh, not Nothing But Trouble, what was it? Deep, Deep Trouble. Okay which uh, Bart Simpson raps about uh, pranks, mischief, and the trouble that he got in by doing them. The other one was Do the Bartman, which was a song about a dance that's uh, real easy to do. He learned it with the rhythm, and so can you. Um, the former was written by DJ Jazzy Jeff and Will Smith, okay, and then performed by Nancy Cartwright. The latter was mm. written by Michael Jackson and performed wow. by Nancy Cartwright. That's crazy. We're not even halfway there yet. <laughs> and it's not worth it. So now I'm going to play you a sample of Do the Bartman, written by Michael Jackson and performed by Nancy Cartwright. And I want you to pay attention to... Well, I'll, I'll, I'll clue you in when, okay. when, when it happens. So we're, gonna, we're getting into the end of verse one and the beginning of the chorus. Okay. Here's the part to listen to. Shake your body, turn it out if you can, can. All right. I'm just imagining, is it Nancy Cartwright? Yes. In the booth, rapping that song. (laughs) It is a beautiful image, and it happened. It totally happened. All right. Back in the 70s, in the late 70s, early 80s, when Yellow Magic Orchestra was popping, Michael Jackson uh, wanted to do a cover of Behind the Mask, the song we started with. Uh, They worked it all out. They were recording it. He did the vocals for it. And the original deal was to have it split three ways. Michael would get a third. And then the two people in uh, Yellow Magic Orchestra who wrote it would get a third each. So they did this project. Uh, They had the song locked, loaded, ready to go. And then Michael's management wanted more than a third. Like they wanted a half or two thirds or something because, you know, obviously he's got more global cachet than right. Yellow Magic Orchestra. So uh, negotiation fell through. 
the tapes were untouched for years and then uh, Michael passed away. At which point, uh, the executives start digging through the crates to release these songs. Okay? Mm-hmm. Uh, so, Behind the Mask gets uh, a facelift. All puns intended. <laughs> uh, and it comes out sounding like this. What's the- Let's go more towards the middle. So it's like this really kind of glossy, techno-futuristic song now. But you can, you can hear behind the original version, you can hear yeah. it underneath it all. Yeah. And then they do this kind of throwback to PYT. A uh, little bit of trivia on this song. This has the most hee-hees per capita of any <laughs> oh, Michael geez. Jackson song. All right, we're going to bring it all together now. Okay. This is what, okay. And I've, I've Googled this, and I don't think anyone else has found this. This is investigative journalism okay. that you're witnessing wow. in real time. <laughs> so what I'm going to do, there's an intro, mm-hmm. then the bass comes in, like, boom. So for the four, first four bars, I'm going to sing... Shake your body, turn it out if you can, can. Okay. Then after the bass comes in, when you hear the boom, I'm going to stop, but you're going to hear that they have taken the sample from Do the Bart Man and buried it deep, deep under the beat. No one else has talked about this. This is a first exposure of this. <laughs> I, I can't wait. All right. <laughs> Was it worth Is it worth it? Here we go. And then... Shake your body turn. Shake your body turn. Shake your body turn. Here it comes. You're not hearing that? Is no, that- I hear it. I think I hear it. Yeah, shake your body turn. <laughs> it's, it is the sample from Do the Bart Man. There it is. That's what I've been doing this week. <laughs> wow. And you had time to come up with a movie pitch on top of all that. Well, uh, this took me like <laughs> a minute to, I put the song on and I jumped because I heard the sample and I love that. I loved Do the Bartman when I was Got a kid it. and then I was doing all this back studying. <laughs> yes. And I did a pitch. So, um, productive week. Oh yeah. No, it's been a very good week. <laughs> And the song's good. If you want to listen to, to Behind the Mask, uh, g- give it a shake. Either the old version or the new version. I think you can skip the Eric Clapton version. Mm. But, you know, that can be said of any era. <laughs> Burn, man. Smoked him. All right. Let's, let's wind it down. All right. Uh, let's wear yeah, uh, Sunshine Picture. <laughs> Hollywoodfishbowl.com is where you can find what I'm working on. Yep. Um, Naomi, what have you got? Uh, you can find me on my website at writeandco.com um, or in my Facebook group, The Screenplay Lab. All right. And, and today we're going to ride out on a live performance by Yellow Magic Orchestra from 1980 when they did a Soul Train appearance. This song is Firecracker. I really like it because it's kind of uh, like a haunted mansion synth pop party song (laughs) excellent so uh thank you guys for tuning in and we can't wait to to chat with you next week and talk movies 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 and something anything else